Scripture reading tonight will be Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 through 6. Then he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb, in the middle of its street. On either side of the river was the tree of life, bearing twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. There will no longer be any curse, and the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his bondservants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And there will no longer be any night, and they will not they will not have the need of the light of a lamp, nor the light of the sun, because the Lord God will illumine them, and they will reign forever and ever. And he said to me, These words are faithful and true, and the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show to his bondservants the things which must soon take place. The house in which one lives is but a shell of stone and wood and clay with paint spread o'er. And when sweet stories about home we tell, we mean not just the house alone, but more. When one has kissed his loved ones a goodbye and for a fortnight travels to and fro, returns into his home, the latch to try and finds the pesky little thing won't go and takes his night key and unlocks the door and finds the house as quiet as a mouse. His wife and babies just the day before had gone. It is not home. It's just a house. It's then one comes to really understand the meaning in its truest sense of home. It's then that all the houses in the land, built in earth wide and high as heaven's dome, with floors of gold and walls of jasmine, and ceilings all bedecked with jewels rare, Mantles of pearl and bric-a-brac thrown in would not be home with wife and babes not there. Think about what home means to you. And it's not just the walls and the pictures that are hanging on the walls. It's not just the bricks and mortar. But oftentimes home means relationship. It's the fact that you have people that love you and that you love. That is what makes heaven or home a home. And you may think about home as especially a childhood home. You might think of a favorite toy. You may remember grandma and grandpa coming over to visit. You might think of even fighting with your brothers and sisters. You may remember a bad day you had at school and your mother or father coming to offer comfort to you. You might think of coming home after going off and taking a first job or going off to college and coming home for that first time and hugging your mom and dad so tight. You might remember how your father taught you how to change a tire or... Your mother taught you how to bake. Those are wonderful memories that we have. And whatever memories you have of home, you probably think of home as those relationships, not just a location. Tonight, as we announce and as we've been singing about all evening, we're going to think about heaven. 
heaven as the future eternal home that we have, that God has promised to those who love Him and are seeking to serve Him faithfully, and those who are His children. And as tonight or this morning we looked at reasons why hell would be so bad, I think it would be beneficial for us to think of the contrast, why heaven will be so wonderful. And this is going to be something that I believe is helpful and encouraging to many of us as we think about heaven, our home, that we long for, that we yearn for. And I want you to think this evening, I want you to ask yourself, why do you want to go to heaven? As we might try to come up with an expansive list of reasons, oftentimes it comes down to we want to be reunited with those who have gone on before us, our family that we have lost, and we want to see them again. And that is a wonderful thing, and that's a grand reunion that we can look forward to for the faithful of God. But I think there is another reason that we need to have as number one on our list of why we want to go to heaven. And I think this is the one reason that if we stopped right after this first point, then it would be sufficient for answering this question of why heaven is so wonderful. Now you know me, I'm long-winded, I'm going to have a couple other things to say. But the first thing that I believe that qualifies heaven as such a wonderful place to be and a place that we yearn to be is because we will see our God face to face. You think about as we ended our study this, this morning about hell and how hell is the absence of God's presence. Heaven is the exact opposite. As you see in Revelation chapter 22, as we read the, the, the descriptions of the river, of the water of life, and the tree of life, and how it bears fruit of all kinds for every month. And it says in verse 3, there will no longer be any curse, and the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And His bondservants will serve them. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. You think about what he's suggesting here, that the curse is removed. And we're going to talk about that curse in just a moment. But that curse and everything that would represent as a barrier between us and God, it is completely removed. And now we can see God face to face. We can come to see His glory and His face. The glory of God on His throne the glory of Jesus our Savior. And you think about what we learn in the Gospel of John in John chapter 1. In, in the Gospel of John, in John the first chapter, it says in John chapter 1 and in verse 18, No one has seen God at any time, the only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father. He has explained Him. 
And the only way that we have been able to come to know God through up to this point in our life, it's through Jesus Christ. It's through what we have learned about Christ and from Him about God. Man has never been able to see God in the fullness of His glory. You think about that. And we have never been able to see God's face. You know, whenever it comes to social media and Facebook, I'm on social media, but if I don't know someone, I'm very hesitant to add them as a friend. And if if I have a lot of friends in common, I might check, hey, is this a legit person? Is this a good person? You know, that kind of thing. If they say yes, I might add them. I might not. Someone that I don't know face to face, it's a lot harder for me to want to be friends with them on social media. But here is our God, our Creator, and our Savior, and I have never seen their face. And you know what heaven means? Heaven means that we will get to see them face to face. Moses, you remember Moses in the book of Exodus as he was leading the children of Israel out of Egypt and he had been given the commandments of God And then the children of Israel, they had sinned greatly with the golden calf and all the things there. And so Moses goes back and he goes up on the mountain and he beseeches God to be patient with them. And then he asks God of a request in Exodus chapter 33 and in verse 17. He says, The Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing of which you have spoken, for you have found favor in my sight and I have known you by name. Then Moses said, I pray you, show me your glory. Moses said, I just want to see you. I want to see your fullness. I want to see your glory. I want to see everything that you are. And he said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no man can see me and live. Remember those words in a moment. Then the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me, and you shall stand there on the rock, and it shall come about while my glory is passing by, that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take my hand away and you shall see my back, but not, but my face shall not be seen. Moses wanted to see God's face and yet he was prevented. God, in fact, said that if you see my face, you will die. Remember in Revelation chapter 22 and verse 3, he says there will no longer be any curse and the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it and His bondservants will serve Him. They will see His face. I don't think it's a stretch to imagine that the curse that is lifted is the curse that was with associated with seeing God's face. And up until, until we reach eternal glory in heaven, seeing God's face represents a curse. It represents death. But in heaven, seeing God's face is the fullest sense of what it is to live. To live eternally. 
Why do you want to go to heaven? I ask you again. To see God. To see His face. To behold Him. In heaven we will see God's face and enjoy the personal and everlasting presence of the Almighty God. And as we referred to very quickly this morning in Genesis chapter 3, and really the first couple of chapters in Genesis when Adam and Eve were dwelling in the Garden of Eden, in Genesis chapter 3, and in verse 8, you see that here the description of God being in the garden. It says, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. This is after they sinned. They wanted to be hidden from His presence. But up until then, they had known God in His presence and who He was. They had had a special kind of relationship with Him. And I think the language of Him walking in the garden is anthropomorphic language where you take human language, human attributes, and apply it to God and deity. I think that's what's going on here. But as he goes on in verse 9, then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? God has always wanted to have some kind of relationship and connection with His people. And heaven is going to be a restoration of that. As you continue on in Genesis chapter 3, after man had, and woman had sinned, God exiled Adam and Eve from the garden. And it says in verse 22, we get the reasoning behind that. It says, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, and now he might stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever in an unredeemed state, in a, a condition of being unsaved. And he says, they cannot eat that from the tree of life and live forever in that condition if there is any chance of saving them. And so he says in verse 23, Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. So he drove the man out and at the east of the Garden of Eden he stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. And then as you come to the book of Revelation, the very last book of the New Testament, the very last book of the Bible, in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 7, there is this promise that is given that he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. That word paradise in the... Greek, it is also used in the Greek rendition of the Old Testament in Genesis when it's referring to the Garden of Eden. Paradise is this notion of a garden. It's a paradise, he says. That's where the tree of life is. That is what is promised for anyone who is faithful and true in service to God. As you come to the end of Revelation, Revelation chapter 22. Revelation chapter 22 and verse 1, Then He showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. 
in the middle of its street on either side of the river was the tree of life bearing twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. You just think about how sad it is that sin removed us from God's presence. And yet heaven is restoration in its fullest sense that we will see God in just the way that He originally wanted us to. He wanted to dwell among us. He wanted to commune with us in a very intimate and close way. Think about being at home with someone, but you never see them. Maybe you can tell that they've been in in a room. Maybe they left some things there, but they go into their room and they close the door and then you come out and you see that they've been around and you go back in and you close your door, but you never see each other. Would that be a very loving kind of home? No. It's not the kind of family that I'd want to be a part of. Heaven is going to be when we can see God. When we can dwell with Him and see Him. And instead of death being associated with seeing God's face, now seeing God's face means eternal life. A life of eternal bliss. A life of no temptation. A life of no sin. A life in a condition of complete perfection. If that doesn't make heaven a wonderful place, then I don't know what does. Then, I think we can... Also see that in heaven it is a place where we will worship and serve our Creator. You think about our worship now and the role that it has. Indeed, that we come here and we give praise to God. We give Him the preeminence. We recognize Him as our Savior. We thank God for the sacrifice of Jesus, His Son. We we remember that each and every Lord's Day. But there is also something built into worship that it is meant to encourage each other, doesn't it? In Hebrews chapter 10 and verses 23 through 25, notice what the Hebrew writer says. In Hebrews chapter 10, in Hebrews the 10th chapter, in verses 23 through 25, he says, Here, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. And one of the reasons that we worship together, it's to offer encouragement to one another in helping prepare us for eternity. And the beauty about heaven is that it will be this place where we get to worship God together. You know, many people, it feels like you have to sometimes really pull them along to want to come worship God. And if people don't enjoy worshiping God here, 
they're certainly not going to enjoy eternity in heaven. Because eternity in heaven is going to be about worshiping and serving God. And our life, you think about our life, that our life, we situate what we do as the Apostle Paul described in the book of Philippians. In Philippians chapter 1, everything that we do is centered around Christ. Christ is our life. In Philippians chapter 1 and in verse 21, notice what Paul says. He says, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That as long as I'm going to live, I am going to live for Christ. In the book of Colossians, in Colossians chapter 1, or Colossians chapter 3 rather, in Colossians the third chapter, and in verse 3, notice what Paul says here. He says, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Our life, our being, our essence, our motives, what we do each and every day, it is about pleasing our God. And every choice that we make, every offering of kindness and, and help and benevolence that we show to someone, it should be motivated because we are trying to serve God, ultimately. That our life is not about pleasing ourselves. Our life is about worshiping and serving our God and our Creator. In the book of Revelation, in Revelation chapter 22 and in verse... Three, he says very clearly, there will no longer be any curse in the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his bondservants will serve him. Now, we are going to have an eternity to be able to serve our God. I think that implies that we're not just going to be sitting on a pew or sitting in a chair and singing all the time. I think that it means that we're going to be doing other things as well, that we're going to be servants in the Master's house. I couldn't tell you what all that means and what kind of jobs and roles we will have, but it will be something that we will be assigned. We will be working and serving our God. But there are going to be the times where we get to worship our God, where we are going to be singing that new song. In Revelation chapter 5, what I love about the book of Revelation are all these little glimpses of getting to see kind of behind the scenes. you getting to go behind the curtain a little bit and you get to see what's really going on in heaven. Because how many times have we ever wondered, like, what are they doing in heaven now? I think we get a little bit of a glimpse here in Revelation chapter 5 and in verse 11. The Apostle John, as he is seeing this vision, he says, Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. Don't you just love that description there? That's a lot of people. And he says, I heard the voice of many angels. Something that is interesting to see in the book of Revelation, if you ever take the time to just read it real slowly and real carefully, you're going to see how noisy heaven is. <laughs> you're going to see that it is a place filled with all sorts of noise and words of praise and adoration. And you get a glimpse of that in verse 12, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power 
and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing and every created thing which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them, I heard saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Heaven is going to be this wonderful place of glory where we are going to be able to see our God, where we are going to be able to worship Him face to face. You think about it. I think sometimes we've all probably been there in our worship to God when maybe we find it a little bit challenging to focus our mind on the Lord's Supper, for instance. You know, we, we get distracted. Our minds start thinking about other things. We start thinking about what's for lunch or, you know, are the Chiefs going to play well today or whatever it might be. We start thinking about other distractions because we can't see who we're worshiping, right? Think about how, wor- how different our worship would be if. You could put God and Jesus up here and you were seeing them face to face. Would you worship any differently? Would you make sure you're not falling asleep or that you're losing concentration or whatever it might be? Would you worship differently then? Heaven. We're going to see God. We're going to be able to worship Him and serve Him. We're not going to be hesitant to do anything. We're going to be eager to do whatever it is that we need. I think so many times we think of heaven as a place where we can go and get a little R&R, like a tropical paradise. We're going to take a little vacation. We're going to play a little golf. We're going to go on some hikes and spend some time in the great outdoors. As we talked about this morning, a caricature of of hell and how God is this mean bully, that's sometimes the caricature that we get of heaven, isn't it? And it's just going to be this tropical paradise where you're going to have uh, some kind of little fruity drink with an umbrella coming out and we're going to feel like, yeah, we're, we're in good shape. Heaven is about so much more than that. In Revelation chapter 21, in Revelation chapter 21 and in verse 1, John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and He will dwell among them, and they shall be His people, and God Himself will be among them. You have this description of the new Jerusalem, this holy city that's coming down as a bride adorned for her husband. In chapter 19 of Revelation, we have this marriage feast. That's described. You think about a wedding ceremony. Weddings are moments of joy and celebration. And sometimes I think we forget this. It is about the vows that are being made. And that's what we're 
celebrating that two people are committing their life to one another till death do us part. And heaven here is described as a beautiful picture of worship and service for eternity. For there is no till death do us part. There is no separation. Now here... Friends of mine that have a few months ago presented a lesson on the restored earth kind of idea that's among brethren. And I've heard people make fun of heaven as this eternal worship service and they're just mocking that idea. I think they're really missing out on something. Because worship is one of the greatest things that we can offer our God. The joy that we share and experience with one another, our service to God, it's one of the very things that we live and the very reason that we live. It's about worshiping and serving Him. It's nothing to belittle or mock. When we are in heaven... Being able to worship and serve God is going to be one of the greatest things that could bring us pleasure. That's why it's such a wonderful place to be. The third and final point for us to consider this evening is that in heaven, one of the things that makes it such a wonderful place that there's an open invitation. Don't you love whenever you have dear friends that you're able to go visit? And they might you know, open the door for you. They might treat you as a, a really special guest for a little bit. But then they tell you, make yourself at home. And then you know it's going to be a really comfortable place. <laughs> they have this open home. Make, they have this attitude of, my home is your home. That's what God is willing to do for us. My home is your home, is what God says. In Revelation chapter 22 and in verse 14, Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the immoral persons and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices lying. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. Then notice verse 17. The Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty, Come. But the one who wishes take the water of life without cost. Come. It's an invitation to come. Outside are the immoral people. But if you want to come in to the great city of God, there's an invitation. Nothing stands 
in the way of that. There's always an invitation. As long as we have life and breath, you can answer that invitation at any time. While we may sing a song of invitation in a few moments, if you don't answer that invitation then, you hits you at 2 a.m. this morning, or tomorrow morning, I guess I should say, pick up the phone and call. An invitation is always available. Heaven has extended an invitation to come. In John chapter 14 and in verse 6, Jesus tells us that I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through Me. You have to believe in Jesus. You have to accept Him and believe in Him as the Savior who came and died for you. I take great comfort in the words of the Apostle Paul in the book of Philippians. In Philippians chapter 1, as we already referred to, verse 21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. In verse 22, he says, but if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me and I do not know which to choose, but I am hard pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ for that is very much better. And being with Christ is the ultimate goal. And that's something that we long for and yearn for. To go and to depart and to be with our Savior. That's why we serve. That's why we worship. That's why we work for the Lord now, here, in this life. And Paul, he understood that that was what he had to look forward to. That is the great reward. That's the invitation that is made available to anyone. You can be with Christ. In the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 4, the Hebrew writer, he goes back and he looks at the generation of the Israelites that came out of Egypt. And how they did not get to enter into the promised land. And the Hebrew writer describes eternity as a Sabbath rest. Just as there was this promise of a promise of a rest and being able to come into the land that God had promised for the Israelites, so there is a land that is promised for us. In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 9, he says, So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works as God did from his. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. The Hebrew writer is trying to get us to see is that no one enters into heaven by accident. It's going to take a very purposeful mindset. A heart that's determined to do what is right, to be pleasing to God, 
a heart that's committed to faithfulness, to serving our Lord. If you go back up into verse 1, he says, Therefore, let us fear if while a promise remains of entering His rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. There is an open invitation, but not everyone will answer it. Not everyone will be diligent to respond to come into that rest. But heaven is this Sabbath rest. And we need to learn from the poor example of Israel. And we need to be sure that we're faithful and diligent to not miss out. Because what we realize about heaven and being with God, that is truly home. To be with God, it is truly home. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and in verse 8, as Paul has been talking about resurrection and things of that nature, thing, contrasting things that are temporary with things that are eternal, he says in verse 8, We are of good courage. I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. To be at home with the Lord. I started out by asking, what does home mean to you? probably means a lot of about the relationships that you have. You long for a home with God. There's this open invitation to come. God wants you to come. Back in 2005, nope, 2006, 2006, it was my first time to step on an airplane after 9-11. And it was five years after 9-11. And, you know, you started seeing documentaries and things like that. And I remember the very images of 9-11 very well, very vividly in my mind. As many of you do, I'm sure. And... I started, I went to see a couple movies or, you know, documentaries and things like that about those terrorist attacks and what happened. And I was a little nervous getting back on an airplane for the first time. And I had recently heard a sermon on heaven, I think, and something that had stuck with me and something that. I, I told my parents was that if I go down, I was going overseas too, by the way. So I said, if, if that plane goes down and this is the last time I see you, I said, we need to have a meeting place in heaven. And so 
talked with my mom and my dad, and we said we're going to meet at the Tree of Life. I had forgotten about that, honestly. Until about six years ago, my mom took a trip overseas. And as we took her to the airport, uh, dropped her off, and we were saying our goodbyes for a couple of weeks. She hugged my neck, and you just have to know my mom, but she was tears, and she said, if something happens, you know where to meet me, right? She said, meet me at the Tree of Life. What I love about that is that there's certainty. There's hope. We long for a home, don't we? We long for a place of belonging. We sometimes will sing Walking Alone at Eve. And in the chorus of that song, Oh, for a home with God, a place in His courts to rest, sure in a safe abode with Jesus and the blessed. Rest for a weary soul, once redeemed by the Savior's love, where I'll be pure and whole and live with my God above. There's an open invitation to come. Dwell in heaven with God. That makes heaven a wonderful place. Tonight, if you're not a child of God, or if you're a Christian who's not been serving God faithfully, will you not come back to the Lord? Make your life right with God. Heaven is a wonderful place where we will be able to dwell with our God and our Savior for eternity, worshiping and serving Him. And God invites all people to come home to Him. The Lord is inviting you to come. Will you come? Tonight, if we can help you and assist you in any way, Would you come now as we stand, as we sing?